Well, today we are going to preach, I'm going to preach, on the next heirloom seed. Uh, and it's the seed of unity. Um, and I think when I first started teaching and laid out the, the groundwork for the series, I was discussing uh, the, the unity that the early church fathers were trying to bring to the church. Uh, and uh, I'm not a huge fan of the early church fathers, sorry. Um, you know, they're, they're men, but they've done some things that weren't so great. I mean, early church fathers, I don't mean Paul, I don't mean Peter, I mean those that came 200 years after, right? That's a whole other thing. If you don't know about them, we can talk later. But, you know, they, they tried to bring unity, but they tried to bring unity in faith through coercion and force, exactly. right? And, 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 and mandating. That's how they did things. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's, not, that's not the place of the Lord. No. Uh, and so I'm going to take a little bit of a, a different approach with this and, and taking a look at it, essentially, for us to re-envision the Tower of Babel for a second. Okay. Now, I'm actually up here kind of preaching this, uh, a little bit of the shakes, to be quite honest, uh, because in preparation for this, I think the whole time it's like, I'm a hypocrite, you know? Um, and uh, because of it, it's, it's interesting, you know, because I'm, I'm preaching on unity, and I'm just going to be real with you, since we're a family church, and this last week, you know, Michelle and I have not been in complete agreement on, on certain things, you know? Nothing major, nothing big, but those that are married, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? So it was like, I'm like, what's going on? So, you know, it's nothing big, and you know, but, but it was when, when you are not in unity uh, with some things with a loved one, with your spouse, like you feel it, man. Like it's like, Amen. two shall be one. And if you're not in unity with your spouse, it means that you are not one with yourself. Amen. And so I'm like, this is, this is very ironic here that I'm like preaching on unity. And of course, the enemy wants to raise its head and produce disunity or try to bring forth disunity. It was like, it was unbelievable. So I, I like to just like move in the opposite spirit as we talk uh, on spiritual warfare. And it's like, hey, you know, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. I'm just saying, like, these are things that I um, have been learning. And it's a piece of humanity, you know. Unfortunately, uh, this stuff happens, okay? But it's seed. It's a seed of faith. And it's an extremely important seed of faith. There is power in the unity of brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen. A tremendous uh, power. Um, so let's take a look at Psalm 133, right? It's probably the second most famous, or maybe the most famous scripture verse dealing with unity, right? Um, in the Hebrew, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Right? Now, a lot of people will, will recite that, they'll discuss that, they'll teach out of that, and they're like, oh, that's really beautiful. It's a, it's, it's a declaration. Amen. But not, not many people move on to, to the next verses. And the next verses are very, very powerful. In fact, it fills out the story. Verse 2, this unity of brethren is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Now, let's pause here. Aaron, priest. The oil that would be on a priest, the oil that would be on a priest would be the anointing oil to become a priest. The anointing oil to be a priest in Hebrew is Mashiach. You translate that into English, that's Messiah. Translate that into Greek, it's Christos. It's the place of Christ. It's the place of the anointing of the love of the Lord. Unity. That's so good. It's the oil that makes you a priest before God. You don't have unity in your family. You don't have unity with your brethren. Guess what? You're not being a priest. It's running down on the edge of his garment. I mean, that ephod, man. Like, I mean, that, that which was in the temple. Uh, that is actually the one that I really like. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the Mount of Zion. So, uh, Mount Hermon, or Mount Hermon, uh, is a mountain in the uh, Israel-Lebanese uh, border. Okay, it's the most furthest northern part of Israel. It's a pretty decently high mountain. In fact, they have a ski resort there. It's only open for like a month or two because that's the only time they can get the snow up there. But the dew that's on that mountain, and in fact, the snow that melts on that mountain, what does it do geographically? Or, yeah, I guess geographically. Topography, whatever. Uh, it melts. And then when it melts, it feeds, really, the main water source in Israel, the Jordan River. Like that 
place where Jesus was baptized. Okay? So look, look at this. It's, it's, it's a place of anointing. And it's really a, a place of baptism. And it's a place of life. Because Jordan River flows in the Sea of Galilee and then it flows out of the Sea of Galilee. If there is no dew, if there is no snow on Mount Hermon, Israel is going to have a drought. Wow. Right? So what we have life giving waters is unity. Alright? So it's not just how good and pleasant it is, it's okay, what is it really like? Now, if that's not enough, it keeps going on. For there, this place of unity, it's in that location that the Lord commanded the blessing. Not a blessing, but the blessing. Amen. What is it? Those have your Bibles open. Life forevermore. What's that? That's eternal life. That's salvation. Wow. See, that's the type of power that there is, that there is in unity. And it, so in a sense, it's like, you know, it's divine unity, right, between the Father and the Son, the Son and us, right? There's a power that is there. And I'm just telling you, um, if you do not have life in you, if you don't have a sense of life and you're in a drought, um, and if you feel like you're not really walking in the anointing that the Lord has on you, I, I really would, would suggest to you that you pray, you intercede where there is disunity in your life. Okay? Because the Lord cannot operate when there is disunity. It's good, David. It's just not going to happen. And so this is a very, very beautiful scripture verse. We, uh, we slide that over, juxtapose that with 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, uh, Paul obviously speaks. He says, finally, brethren, goodbye, farewell. Then he says, become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. What does Paul say here at the end of Corinthians? Saying goodbye to Corinth, they have two letters. Right? He's saying that you guys need to be one. You need to have unity. Uh, unity of the brethren is not a suggestion. It is a command. And so if there is disunity, you get to walk out in the spirit of the Lord and humble yourself and go to someone and make strides to bring forth unity. Amen. Amen. Now, if you don't do that, well, that's another problem. Now, division. Man, I am telling you, division of any sense, disunion of a, in any sense, because uh, I was just walking through a little bit of it, and like I said, not major division, but even if it was just a little taste of disunity between my wife and I, man, it was like, it was, it was a lonely place, it was a heavy place, it was not a good place, right? Um, and, and the reason why I think in many regards, a very general term is that to be uh, to be divided in anything in your Bible is not to know what the truth is. Anyone ever be divided inside of their own mind? Yeah. That double-mindedness? Right? There's a confusion that is there because you're trying to grab onto truth and you don't know what the truth really is. And there's a division that's there. Now, division can occur, to the best of my estimate, in three ways. One way, uh, which is probably at the forefront of many of our minds right now, is a division against others, right? It's a division that you have with your brothers, your sisters of faith, maybe it's your actual physical family. That's uh, one very popular one that we have to walk through, one that is very clear and evident in Scripture. Uh, another way the division occurs, uh, which I think is one of the most important ones, I think it, it actually may be more important than the division against others, because all things flow out of the next two. And that is having a vision against yourself, right? A war of the mind, the double-mindedness, the confusion, not knowing who you are, not acting in accordance with who you are in Christ. That's a, that's a very common one, actually. I think it's more common than we give a credit for, right? Being double-minded in terms of, like, will I pursue the self or I will pursue the things of the kingdom? It's a very delicate thing. And even that, I believe, comes out of, really, ultimately, all things lead to the road of the cross. Um, and essentially, the third division that people experience is division with God. Okay? 
Now, I'm not talking about saved or not saved. I'm assuming and looking out at the crowd today that all of you are saved. Cool, you're not divided with God. But uh, I do believe that some of us in the church at large are actually still divided with the Lord. We're, we're divided because we are acting in disobedience. Now, is that disobedience necessarily pursuing sins, but maybe it is, but really a disobedience that we are not choosing, it's a choice, making a real clear choice on actually doing and living a life that he is calling you to. Now, if, if you're not doing that, there's, there's an element of division there. It's not a division like, oh my goodness, you're going to hell's fire, but you're not walking in accordance with what the Lord has called you to. Has anyone ever been there? It is not a good place. Nothing goes well. It's a mess. It's a fight. But I would also encourage you today as we talk to be contemplative and determine if there's anything in your life right now where you are walking, not in pure, absolute disobedience, but you're walking in things where you're like, you know what, I don't know if the Lord is really in what I'm doing or how I'm acting. All right? So that's kind of a mojo for today. So let's open up to uh, Genesis chapter 11. And now we're going to now re-envision the, the story of the Tower of Babel. And so it's, you know, it's a couple of sentences long, a couple of verses long. Um, actually, no, we're not going to read all of it, but we'll be reading the, the, the narrative part, okay? It's about nine verses, so just, you know, hold on, right? All right, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down, it's a key phrase, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speak. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. All right, so let's take a look at what's going on. This is a story that is happening right after Noah's flood. All right? In fact, the preceding story is like Noah's 900 years old, then he dies, and boom, now we're into a new story. It's important for the context, right? So this is just about a generation or two after the, the flood, okay, the deluge. And what are the details that are going on? Mankind is now, after this flood, building a city, and then also building a tower, and this tower is going to reach the heavens. Wow. Amazing. Verse 6 says, okay, uh, how are they doing this? How are they able to pull this off? They're able to pull it off or attempt to pull it off because it says here, the people are one and they are one in the same language. And it's kind of weird. Because of that, the heavenly realm says, let us go down and scatter them or who knows what they would be able to accomplish. All right. Interesting story. We all know that story. Uh, and so let's just get into some of the other uh, lessons here. Because I want you to re-envision Babel. Because we always think about the Tower of Babel is like this really horrible thing, which it is. But it's also good. Not yet. It's actually good. Let's think about this. This is unbelievable. In the story of Babel, God is moved and the heavenly realm is moved and says, mankind is able to do anything. Come on. And how can they do everything? Two things. They're one. They have unity. And they speak the same language. So good. 
Think about this. We as the sons and daughters of God, according to God, are able to do anything. 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 You think of it, keep, you can do it. If we're one. Now you're like, you know, whatever. No, not this is the Lord here. I mean, can you imagine for thousands of years, mankind is looking up at the sky. And it's like, oh, the birds can fly, we can't. Well, when we're unified between two brothers, right, brothers, they're unified, and they, they were able to figure out how to fly. Oh, yeah, 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 but look at the moon, look at the stars. I mean, it'd be really cool to get up there one day. Well, yeah, in 1969, we landed on the moon. Why? Because America was unified somewhat. Heck of a lot more than that. That's the 60s. That's not a unified time if you study your history. But what I'm saying here is when people come together with a common purpose, and they come together in unity, the scriptures say, not history, the scriptures say they're able to do anything they put their mind to. That's an amazing thing. Not only is it amazing, it's very gospel-like, actually. I mean, this is almost in a weird way. It might be a little bit of a push. It might be. I don't think it's too far fetched, but it's almost like a foreshadowing of the coming of the kingdom. It's a foreshadowing of the gospel. Yeah. What do you mean? Mankind is building a tower so that they can have connection with God. It's like a Jacob's ladder. Like, we want to be able to access heaven, and we want heaven to be able to access us. Thy will be done, right? Thy kingdom be done on earth. I mean, mankind, in a pre crucifix form, is attempting to do that. It's very beautiful. Actually, says that, um, well, they're one. And they're one in the construction of a building. Uh, but Jesus, famous, probably the most famous section of Scripture on unity, John 17, is talking about, once again, not the recommendation, but the mandate to have unity. I mean, it's unbelievable. This is the last thing, right, that Jesus prays, essentially. Except for, like, you know, take this call for me. Before the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' last real kind of prayer to his Father is a prayer that, the, that, that, that believers would be unified. John chapter 17, right, verse 20. Jesus says, it's in red, I do not, I do not pray for these alone. Right? I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I, I joke because... Jose and I were having a conversation a while ago about the words of Christ in red. There's this whole nerdy Bible thing about it. It's an American invention. So the Europe, every other Bible on planet Earth doesn't have the words of Christ in red. Only American translations. It's just a, an interesting kind of polemic. So that's why I was joking. It's the words of Christ in red if you're in America. Back to verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them. That they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me. That they may be made perfect by being one. Perfection. Perfection of the, of the visualization of Christ is to be seen in the unity that we have with the Father, but also the unity we have with one another. Yeah. So there's a unity at the Tower of Babel, actually. And part of the unity is because they speak all the same language. These are the direct descendants of Noah. They're all speaking the same language, whatever language that may have been. Maybe Hebrew, maybe not. They're all speaking the same language. What is that? I mean, you know, some of us younger generations who kind of have this kind of vernacular where we're like, hey man, look at me. We speak the same language. Like, that phrase shows that there's like a unity. Like, you walk with them. You know, there's brothers and sisters that you're like, hey, we're brothers and sisters, but you don't really speak the same language. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have the same mentality. You don't necessarily believe entirely the same thing. Yeah, speaking the same language has a very kind of tribal kind of element, like, hey, there's a connection. Like, we're on the same frequency, you know what I mean? When you interact with certain people, you're like, hey, we're like, we're like all on the same frequency here. Like, we get each other. 
And that's essentially what's going on here in this one language. And that, that frequency can be doctrine, it can be how we perceive the scriptures, it can be how we perceive life. But what's really interesting here, of course, in the story of the Tower of Babel, is that the Lord, um, well, he's going to disrupt it, isn't he? Yeah. He's going to go down and he's going to scatter this unity. That's good. It's like, what? Come on, man, man is dueling a highway to you, Lord. This is incredible. This is awesome. You're saying they can do anything. Yeah, I'm going to stop it. I think the important thing for understanding this for our message on unity is why does he stop them? That's good. Come on. Genesis 11, Genesis 11, 4. Mankind says, let us make a name for ourselves. You see, envisioning Babel is this. There isn't a necessary problem in building this tower to the Lord. And there's surely not a problem in unity. Because it's not a recommendation, it's a mandate. But there is a problem of what's your motivation That's good. Come on. in what you do. That's good. Yeah. And the motivation is for man's name to be made great. And that's when God's like, eh. Well, why would they want to make their name great? And it's the pride of life. This is the key to understanding disunity in all things. My disunity with my wife this week is simply because of the pride of life in me. I agree. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I am telling you right now, the disunity you have and you may feel with God, the disunity you may have with your brothers and sisters in the Lord or your family, or the disunity you have inside of your own spirit man is because you have the pride of life. That's good. Come on, Dan. Come on. And there's nothing that is so destructive than your union and building a kingdom for the Lord than the pride of life. Yeah, that's good. And that could be a mega ministry or it could be as simple as your home. That's good. The Lord will tear that down. So the temptation, temptation is this, right? Disunity in all things, all things, God, your inside of yourself, and how you interact with others, it all comes from an exaltation of the ego. That's why God tears the tower down. You got an ego, Noah's sons. Wow. The ego is destined to bring a destruction to anything you may be trying to build. It is not going to like maybe happen. Anything you build in your life that is rooted in your own selfish ego, in, in the slightest of ways, it will ultimately, it will be destroyed. That's good, man. 100%. A hundred percent. I'm telling you, it's not always the reason, but it's largely a reason why ministries fall apart. That's true. Right? Amen. Which kingdom are you, are you building? Look, I mean, this is a small church, but... Look, my flesh, you know, when, when there's a little bit more people here, it's kind of like, <laughs> this must be, I'm not saying I believe this, but this is the way the enemy speaks. Oh, this must be, Dick, because you're eating well. And that's why this is happening. Oh, man, is that ego. Yeah. Holy cow. If you live your life like that, it is going to be a balagon. Mess, right? It's gonna be a mess. Balagon is Hebrew for mess. Okay, Balagon. All right. So, look, I am just telling you, where the place the ego is, I'm just to be as best, right? That, that little serpent comes talking to you. Everyone's in ministry, you know, right? Right. You start feeling like you have to do it this way or that way in order to secure it, and then you get into the, you know the, the the cheap grace messages and all that kind of stuff, and then you get into trying to like court people and. And win people over and boy oh boy oh boy it's, and that's right uh, but it's going to be the same thing uh, in your family and in your, in your relationships with, with people essentially it's, it's exalting your name it's exalting your desire it's exalting your wants and it will guarantee bring destruction that's good uh, unity unity is a currency it's a currency in heaven. It's something that gets things done, right? 
currency in heaven is, is the blood of Jesus. Uh, it's also thankfulness, right? When you give thanks to the Lord, it moves the Lord. Thankfulness is a huge currency in heaven. Being thankful to the Lord and being thankful to one another. But another huge currency in heaven, in heavenly realm, in spiritual places, is unity. Now, why is that? Because unity has always been the goal. That's good. Come on. Unity has always been the goal. In the Garden of Eden, the goal was unity. That's good. Adam and Eve, I mean, you can't get much more unified than taking a rib from a male and making his, his companion. Right? The two shall become one. That's good. You, you can't have much more unity than walking and living in a peaceful paradise when you hear the Lord's voice in the pool of the day. I mean, it's the ultimate form of unity. In fact, the whole purpose of creation is for God and man to be in union. And then sin comes in and separates them. But it's okay because in the book of Revelation, what happens again? Full, complete union. Now, right now, we have partial union. Now, we have union in the spirit, but one day we're going to be like seeing him face to face for all of eternity. So the goal is unity, and then therefore unity is important, and unity is a currency to move the heavenly realm. That's good. Come on. Now, this is a problem in some regards because due to the divine power and purpose of unity, the enemy's tactic, and usually his first tactic in all things, is to bring disunity. Happens all the time. You guys remember a couple weeks ago I was uh, preaching about uh, the power of first mention. Right? When an idea or word first is implemented in a Bible, like you have to pause and listen and see what the nuance of what's going on is, right? Power of first mention what? Well, let's talk about the power of first mention of disunity. Well, that's right, it's the first two sins. The first time sin enters into humanity is all from disunity. Correct? Yeah. There's a lot we can talk about in the beginning of Genesis. A lot of interesting things. Now it's not time. On the, on the relationship between Adam and Eve, there's a lot, a lot of interesting polemic on it. But to make it simple for now, God tells Adam not to eat of the apple. He does not tell Eve that. Or we read the story. He tells Adam, don't eat of the apple. He doesn't tell Eve not to eat the apple. Why? I don't know about the why. I know the result. The result is Adam was supposed to do what? As a leader of the home. And as a priest, and all obviously women are priests as well, but he had the responsibility to lead his home. And he didn't. Now maybe he did tell Eve. Maybe he didn't tell Eve. I think he did because of the way that the servant approaches Eve. Whatever the case may be, Eve eats of the apple, and she gets Adam, essentially, or Adam gets himself, everyone else slice and dice it. But guys, my little disunity this week, can you imagine what the conversation between Adam and Eve was after the fall? I mean, I think he's like major biblical counsel. Like, in fact, you could know what you're probably saying today, that, oh, you should, you should just get a divorce. <laughs> Like, Adam and Eve should have, under the 21st century guys, I'm not saying that's my interpretation, but you know what I'm saying. Like, oh, they should have just gone to divorce. I mean, that's a major disunity. Eve, you just want sin into humanity? Well, Adam, it's because you never really led me well enough. <laughs> yeah, it's not my job. This is our relationship with the Lord, too. And then Enoch is like, yeah, you guys should get a, you guys should uh, split up. I'm going to walk with God and be, you know, no more. Now, I'm not saying that they should get a divorce. I'm just saying, you know, the 21st century, you know, I can see a lot of people counsel like, yeah, they, they should not divorce. I want to do that. No! Because the goal is not disunity. The goal is unity. And Satan, the first time, comes in and produces disunity between spouses and the disunity between mankind and God. It's a law of first mention. The first real sin is a disunity. Eve, did God really say that about this? Yeah. You don't really believe what God says, do you? And there's a disunity that's there. Now notice, the disunity between the spouses can only occur if there's a disunity between what? Man and God. That's good. Come on, that's so good. That's why most of today I'll be speaking about disunity 
and not with disunity of brothers and disunity of family and disunity within yourself will be rectified if you have true, complete union with God. That's good. Come on, man. We keep it simple here, kind of. The second act of this unity. So the first one is between spouses and really between mankind and God. And the second one is between brothers. See, Satan likes, he likes this tactic. He loves, he loves the tactic of disunity between family, physically and spiritually, because the family is a foreshadowing, is an example of the kingdom of God. And so disunity, he's just going to go right in there. It's the first two sins on planet Earth. The other with family. Dealing with unity to man of God. That's good. So, as I said, there's different types of unity. There's unity with God, or rather, let's, let's spin it, you know, in terms of not disunity, but unity. Right? There's unity with God, there's unity within yourself, and there's unity with others. Right? Those are essentially the three ways that we would take a look at some of this. And as I said, because of today, I think really a lot of the energy needs to be on unity with God. Okay? And so I, I think. That which gets in the way of the unity of all things, and I kind of alluded to, but now let's give a scripture reference to it. Is 1 John 2.16. Right? This is, I think this is it. I mean, this is it, man. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's a place of disunity. It's good. Disunity with man, disunity with yourself. It's the exaltation of the pride of life. Okay? So let's, let's, let's take a look at uh, this, this concept of construct a little bit more of the unity with God and the story of the land of Babylon. All right. What you have to understand here is the book of Genesis, particularly, but really a whole bunch of the Bible, is written within the culture and the understanding of southern Mesopotamia. Okay? So the first thing you need to know. So where is southern Mesopotamia? Essentially southern Mesopotamia would be Iraq and parts of Syria, okay? That's, uh, that's the setting of these stories, okay? And so in order to understand the Tower of Babel story, we need to understand that culture a little bit. So right off the bat, does anyone know what this is? This, this still exists today. It's archaeological evidence. Anyone know what that is? Destroyed the earth. 
first thing they do when great-grandpa dies, who is the one that heard from God to build the ark, first thing they do, they wait for grandpa to be in the grave. Wait for him to be six feet on the first thing they do. They build a, a tower. Well, why are they building a tower? Yeah, to make their age great, they're building a tower because what do they not want to happen again? Flood. A flood. Wow. We build a tower in the heavens if a flood comes, if an act of God comes, if judgment comes, we're going to rise above it. And our name shall be made green. See, what are they doing here, man? They're afraid. Their needs, their wants, their desire is to protect themselves because they're afraid of what could happen. So let's build a tower. Let's build things with our own hands to protect ourselves, to make our needs great. You do that?
That's a hard unity to get. So, don't miss this, okay? I'm, uh, we've got the worship team going down. I'm trying to get a little better on my worship team. Come on down, this is. I don't want you to miss this. Well, unity with God. Right? Agreement with God, right? I would say it preaches a lot on agreement with God because worship, right? That's what it is, right? You want unity with God. Not just like the sin salvation thing, but really you want unity in your family, you want unity in your community, you want unity, 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 because it's a call, it's a mandate. Uh, you need to have a mindset. That to bring unity, you need to live a life that wants to make his name great. Not your name great. I'm telling you right now. Just being real. Throw myself in there as well. In the church today, the two, making your name great, making God's name great, has gotten so twisted. And most people can't even differentiate between them. I'm not talking about pastors, I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about your career advancement. Your career advancement? Is your career advancement for God's name to be made great or for you to have more money so you can go on vacation? Come on. What is it? No, no, I'll just go to church to pray that I can get a better job so that my name can be made great. Be a slave of Christ. 
one another. And who does that great name? Amen. <laughs> I don't like those scripture verses. Let's read the entirety of Psalm 37. Because I'm not sure if you have it. You lock yourself in the door, he can give you all the desire in your heart. Tell you what, you're going to have to uh, Josh Patrick's going in my computer. I got a charge up here. Let's read all of this. Verse 3. Man, I had walked through this, man. You have no idea. You have no, you have no idea. The junk I had walked through. Oh, my Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring you the past. I'm telling you, I know you guys think I'm crazy. Because from the outside, it's like, David has a pretty good life. I have a really great life. I have an awesome life. I have a good job. I'm an infantry. I have a wonderful family. I live in a decent house. And you, I know you think this is crazy. 10, 12 years ago, this is not what I wanted. It's not. But, but, but it's such a great life. This is not what I wanted. I wanted to be living and traveling through Israel. I wanted to be a tour guide. I wanted to preach the gospel. I wanted to get my PhD. The last thing I wanted to do is teach high school in the same school district that I graduated from. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to do, with all due respect, is to marry a girl that was two miles away from where I grew up. Last thing I wanted to do, growing up in a Messianic synagogue, is to be a pastor of the Sundays of God Church. Whose 
tower am I really building? And it's really tricky because a lot of us are really good and we've been taught by pastors who seem to be meaning well to use God's word to give you what you think you want and need. And so we're very good at trying to merge the two, but they're not two. Uh, unity with others. I'm telling you this right now, even the disunity with my relationships this week, and the disunity you guys have with people. I'm telling you right now, if you have disunity with people, your ego is just being lifted up. If you have disunity with a brother or sister in Christ, and you're going to spend everlasting eternity with them, with, you just need to ask the question, whose name are you lifting up right now? Taking the Lord's name in vain. 
Pride of life is a desire for others to hold us in great esteem, for us to feel more important than the others around us. Mommy, stand. I believe in the church in America. I believe that in the church in America, we are in a, gener a Genesis 11 moment. Okay? We're going to be closing out real soon. Want the spirit to just be honest. I believe that in the church in America we are in a Genesis 11 moment. Okay? What does that mean? We all speak one language. We have computer technology language. We have a cultural language. And we're building a tower. We're building a tower to reach the heavens, right? For heaven to invade earth, as we all like to pray, all like to say. But I'm concerned about how many of us are really looking to make God's name great, and not just our own name great. Now I'm not talking about the prestige of a church. I'm talking about making your name great is your comfort, your desire, your want, sense it's making your name great. I'm really concerned that in the church, we've lost the understanding in the West of laying the life down, of bringing your desires and your wants, even if they seem to be biblical and good, and laying them down at Jesus and saying, Lord, is this what you really want from me? And if you haven't done that yet, you need to do it and be surprised about what he's going to say to you. In closing, I just want to read out this. John chapter 17. Jesus, words in red. Father, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them. That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have decided to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Father, I pray that we can be a generation, a chosen, consecrated people that could be like Abraham, that would come out to the land of earth, that would come out from the Tower of Babel. And that we would resonate and sit in a place to check ourselves. And say, Lord, am I getting caught up in building a Tower of Babel that has just been a veneer of Christianity? But we repent if we have manipulated your word, manipulated our emotions to try to find a way to use you to justify our wants, our needs, our desires. Lord, that is vanity. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. And Lord, right now we pray by the Spirit of God that we repent of that and we call upon you to speak a better word. To speak a better word. To speak a better word. And that word is get out from thy country and go to the land in which I called you. Amen. To be a chosen people. Amen. To bear a chosen covenant. To be a blessing to the earth. Through your seed, the son of David, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, comes fills the better word. He comes and says, be done building towers. For I have come down not on a tower, but on a cross. 
that union with God does not come through building things, but in fact, killing things. Let us kill the flesh. Be raised up. Have true unity with you and the brethren. Jesus.